Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Mets are amazing, 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 amazing. There's a fly ball hit out to left, waiting is Jones, the Mets are the world champion. Here's the one-two pitch, check him out, Steve has 19 strikeouts. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here 
on this Sunday, September the 30th, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MesmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's doing well. This is actually a live edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You never know what we could get with the live edition. Uh, the number, if you want to call in, is 646-716-8187. Again, the number is 646 716 8187. I'll be on live till about 9 o'clock tonight. We'll see what comes of it. See if you guys are into recapping the 2018 Mets season. We'll start off with last night. And first, I hope you enjoy the new intro. I put some time into that during the game last night. Wanted to kind of put in a different type of intro where it went through like a montage of Mets history, get you a little pumped up, almost like a, a television program with a little intro. So Hope you enjoyed that. I'm sure you could tweet at me or let me know about, um, you know, your thoughts on all that at some point. Uh, as far as last night, look, I, I think anytime the Mets pack City Field, you see how special that this ballpark can be. The love affair between the fans and this team, a really genuine love affair. And I don't want to make this about anti-Yankees, but I've always felt the relationship with Mets fans and the team is just so much different. It's not as transactional as the Yankee fans with their team. And that's just my opinion, being kind of in the weeds with both of these teams over the course of a better part of a decade. I think David obviously means a lot to the fans. You could see that. And I think David was so real. Like his speech after the game yesterday, basically repeating you have my back about 30 times, it's somebody who just was feeling an overwhelming amount of love and support. And there's very few times that, you know, you get that little choked up or tear in your eye, but last night's one of those things. When it comes to a baseball game, last night was one of those times. So great job by David. Uh, You know, I said, and I was rough on the whole right situation earlier in the month. He was not entitled to a position. He couldn't play anymore. Those were all correct, but he was entitled, and I'm glad the Mets were able to work out, uh, with all the work he's put in over the last couple of years, an opportunity for him to have that final goodbye, uh, going out as the best offensive player, best player in Mets history. Maybe not talent, maybe not overall package, but in terms of accomplishments. And I know he didn't win a World Series, neither did Piazza, uh, but at the end of the day, Sometimes it's not always about that because there's a lot that has to go into play. And really looking at what has happened since 2015 when he was first diagnosed with the stenosis, you can really say, I love how people say, well, Matt Harvey gave up. God knows what he gave up to pitch the Mets into the World Series. And look, Matt Harvey you know, put his health potentially, and I don't know if I agree with that because his health had these odd injuries since then, since the Tommy John. You don't know if there was a correlation between the two, but if anybody put their health and their body on the line for that 2015 team, it's David Wright because things were already going well when he came back in Philadelphia in late August that year, but he came back and pretty much was, if you look at statistically, was David Wright for the rest of that season. He was David Wright. And he 
didn't hit hit a heck of a lot in the postseason. And I said this during a podcast earlier this month, but he had big hits against LA. He he, he played well against the Cubs. He had the home run in the, in the World Series. I know his throwing probably cost them a game, but at the end of the day, he gave all he can. And then he came back the following spring, and he gave all he could for about six weeks until the body just basically broke down. So you got the final juice, any kind of productive juice that was left and right, you got that between the end of 15, early 16. And if it means giving him a couple of at-bats in a meaningless September Saturday night game to a packed house, he deserved it. And uh, we love David. Uh, I think what you see now is the narrative that New York has always been. And what it is is that we – really appreciate our stars after they're gone, whether it be Patrick Ewing or Mark Messier, or you'll probably see it with Eli Manning. You beat the you-know-what out of these guys. <laughs> and and then when they're not available, you're like, geez, I really miss them. And, and I think that's the case at Wright, because I re- remember plenty of people criticizing him in 07 and 08, and I remember debates over at the old NYBaseballDigest.com back in 2009 about how he's not clutch. And if you look back at his September stats in 07, 08, you know, the quote-unquote collapses, there was, there was nothing to indicate that. He was the best offensive player on the team. And then it almost was silly how that World Baseball Classic, that big hit he got, was something he needed to justify his existence. So – it really should be reflective to the fans as well how we should maybe look at things. You know, you have all this data in front of you. You all love stats. Maybe younger fans, maybe not some of the WFAN talk radio, you know, a little bit older generation. But you, you don't have to pay money to get stats. There's baseball reference. There's all this stuff. And, you know, to me, it's all there for you. Why wouldn't you just? Look at it and, and, and maybe look at it in real time and appreciate what you have in front of you. So uh, sad – I mean a, a fun night on Saturday, sad night, um, but certainly a night where you can look back and, um, and appreciate what, uh, what a career – what would be, will be interesting with respect to Wright. And we'll throw Reyes into this too, who had a kind of the least – almost like the uh you know the dessert that nobody really wanted it seemed like with the Wright and Reyes era it's so symbolic of this franchise's history where you had these very high highs these very low lows a lot of unfulfilled promise and i wonder how it's going to be viewed because you really can't put Reyes in it, into it because he he went, he didn't go to the world series in 2015 but he's kind of part of it Piazza's looked at fondly a lot because of what happened at 9-11. We all know about Seaver and what he's meant to this franchise. Um, Cotter, Hernandez, the 80s Mets, 80-16, what that means to the franchise. How is this going to age? Wright obviously will age well, but what about the teams? There was so much hatred. After this total love affair of the 2016, there was so much hatred towards the 07 and 08 teams, almost from the start after how they game seven and 06. It's almost like they, the fans felt betrayed and then things went sour. And then the team was in purgatory and all of a sudden uh, they have this 
kind of in the middle of the night, they get, the fans get woken up in 2015, and they have this this magical ride that almost leads them to a championship. So it be interesting to see five, six, a decade from now, how the right narrative will play out as this Mets era. We know everyone loves David Wright, but will there be some fondness? Because there was a lot of fun moments in 05 and 06, and even in 07 and 08 when things didn't go well, and obviously 15 and, and in between. When there was baseball purgatory, you know, you had the Johan Santana no-hitter. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not great when you're living it, especially when you feel you don't have a shot to win and you have the Yankees across town. But at the end of the day, there's, there's, always, um, there's always positives in every area. You know, I know, and, and I want to get to the lines. The number is 646-716-8187. I hope you can call in if you're listening live and join me tonight. Uh, 646-716-8187. Let me know if you were at the game, want to talk. We'll, we'll talk about the 2018 team. It's not just about right tonight. But, um, you know, there's so many fun things that come out of a baseball season. It's not just about this rote domination that I think everybody wants to bring, in, you know, bring on. Sometimes the most fun seasons are the seasons you don't win. There's always, and that's the thing about baseball, even in seasons where there's purgatory or you're playing out the string there was some fun things to taken taking away from the last few weeks with this Mets club so anyway I'm going to get to the phone lines I have a couple of friends calling in tonight as well we'll kick it off down in North Carolina an old friend of the show from New York there's a lot of football now over at his uh his Carolina venture he probably would you know the people that listen to him down in Carolina would laugh if uh, they knew that on a Saturday, college football Saturday, here in New York, we're talking about David Wright and the Mets. But uh, Jim Mojo Morris and my friend Mojo wanted to call in for a couple of minutes and talk about the Mets and Wright. And, you know, first, hopefully, Mojo, you've, you've dried out from the hurricane down there. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for asking. Always uh, great to listen to your show. You give me uh, my Mets fix every week uh, that I don't normally get. It's, it's funny, I'm doing a – Daily show down here. Uh, do a lot of Braves coverage, which ironically we're getting ready for the playoffs now, and uh, got a chance to you know follow the Mets as I do every year. It's been a you know a, an agonizing, tormenting experience since 1973 when I first walked into Shea Stadium as a seven-year-old with my dad uh, for a birthday present and fell in love with the team and have stuck with them. And last night was very emotional uh, watching David Wright and David Wright's. Uh, final experience as a New York Met because, you know, you look at the history of this team, Mike, he's the only one that was here from the beginning to the end and never put on another uh, uniform. I mean, him and Ed Kringpole are the only Mets to play 10 years and uh, make the all-star team. Everybody else, Piazza, Seaver, Gooden, Straw, Carter, all those guys had other uniforms. Um, David Wright was orange and blue, true, uh, from the very beginning to the very end. And, you know, it, it brought some tears to my eyes last night watching him well up the way he has because he, he was an original and uh, very authentic. And I, I just uh, was very touched by the tribute that the fans and the organization, the Mets finally did something right last night. Pardon the pun. Uh, it's true. And right. And, uh, you know, I wasn't at the ballpark. I was watching at home. Wright just came across so genuine. Like, for a guy that has made all the money that he's made, that was every bit the page six guy, quote-unquote, that an A-Rod and a Jeter was, I just felt like – and I always felt like that. Even Piazza was like this way. There was this regular guy, I'm just a guy from Virginia, 
overwhelmed. I mean, he's got a, a wife that's a model. You know, I mean, it's not like he's a regular. He's, he's just as as celebrity as an Odell Beckham, but without all the other, you know, extracurricular nonsense. And you just felt a guy that really was humbled by the fans, and you just don't get that anymore. You certainly don't get it across town in the Bronx with these with their with those guys. Uh, I don't know if you get it in the at the Garden. Um, you know, it's 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 very rare, Mojo. And, and and you're down in North Carolina, and there's a different connection with the the teams down there. But you know, I I just don't see it uh, here in New York. And it was very different seeing the how how much he used the term love, how how much love he felt, and and how humbled he was about it. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, the authenticity of David Wright is undisputed. I mean, he came to New York a Mets fan. I mean, he grew up in the Tidewater, Virginia area, and the Mets were down there uh, when he was growing up as a AAA affiliate, and he fell in love with the organization, uh, was fortunate enough to be drafted out of high school, work his way through the uh, organization. Uh, my boss at the Charlotte Knights, Tommy Viola, when he first got hired into baseball, had a chance to uh, you know meet David Wright when he was coming up, up the ladder, and he said that there hasn't been – a more nicer, more genuine uh, guy that he's ever met, you know, in all his years of doing the minor league baseball uh, gig. And you, that's one of the things that you really value working down places like here in North Carolina, where you work in the minor league uh, system and you see these guys as they come through. David Wright never lost it. Like he never lost his love of the game. He never lost his appreciation for what he had. You know, he valued the opportunity he had. He loved the Mets organization. He loved the fans and, uh, he gave 110 percent, you know, for, till the very end. I mean, it's just, you know, he didn't abuse his body. It wasn't like he did drugs like Gooden and Strawberry, or he was an alcoholic that went out drinking every night like Mickey Mantle. I mean, his body betrayed him. David Wright didn't betray his body, and that's the unfortunate part because very similar to Dom Mattingly, they had like seven, eight Hall of Fame caliber years, but they just didn't tack enough on where you could make a, a valid case to put them in the Hall of Fame. But but Wright's had a great career, and like I said, he stayed the whole time, and he you know he's beloved by Mets fans. I I can't hear one person that I've talked to in the last week that could say anything negative about David Wright. Hey, before I let you go. Um... What about this era I brought up in the open? I'm curious your thoughts. I'm curious how this era of Wright Reyes, so to speak, how it will be remembered compared to the Seaver era, the Piazza era, the 80s Mets. It'll be interesting. I don't think you're going to get the answer tomorrow or even maybe next year. But five years from now when the paint dries and Wright's you know, gone and out of our minds and when he comes back, it's going to be special again. Uh, I'm curious because there was a very odd dynamic between the fans and the team over the last 15 years during his career. And he's pretty much the positive bridge, between, you know, or the positive field around that negativity. There was some real fun times. Uh, I'm, oh, not sure. I'm not sure everyone's going to remember it fondly. Unfortunately, that's the, 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 the sad part. Well, you know what the problem is, Mike? We've put so much emphasis on uh, winning or bust. You know, that seems to be the narrative uh, that they, you know, they started spewing in the Bronx in the late 90s. You know, oh, it's either you win or it's agony. People don't realize that only one team wins 
on a consistent basis. You know, one team gets a chance to walk off, but it's a meaningful games. It's the opportunity to go to the ballpark with your uh, family, be able to watch good baseball, to connect with players like David Wright and Jose Reyes. I think their errors, you know, from that standpoint, as far as a championship, you you might give them incomplete. Obviously they had their opportunity in, you know, 05, 06, 07, 08, you know, they, fell short, especially uh, in game seven and 06 with, with Beltran striking out. That was a better team than the Cardinals. They should have been in the World Series, and I think they would have won, and that would have solidified right. You know, 15 was a kind of a bonus to get there. That was unexpected. They got there a year earlier than most of us anticipated, and then it fell apart again in, in uh, 17. And the same thing with Piazza. You had 99 and 2000. Siva's era, they got the one miracle. They got 73. And then, of course, you have the 80s team, which everybody feels cheated by that team. They only won one time. But you, you look back fondly, you know, despite that, you know, Wally Backman, Keith Hernandez, Gary uh, Carter, uh, you know, may he rest in peace. And all those guys are revered by Met fans, as is the Seaver era. So I, I think when it's all said and done, uh, Met fans will look back at the White and Reyes uh, era and say, you know what, those guys gave us a lot of fun and a lot of memories. And, you know, like I said to you, you can't say anything negative about uh, David Wright. We talked about it so many times off the year, and I think when they look at David Wright, he was a near Hall of Fame player, and he gave this team everything he had from start to finish. And at the end of the day, you know, I salute him as a, as a fan, as a journalist, and, you know, I'd say David Wright did it correctly, not to use the word right again, and he walks out with his head up high and you can't say anything. There's no scandals. There was no, you know, PEDs, there's just there's nothing that negative you can put on his slate other than he came to the ballpark and gave it all he had and, you know, came up a little bit short as far as championships are concerned. Uh, but it, overall, I mean, I thought he had a great career and he was an original true orange and blue. I mean, from the start to the finish and he stayed the whole time and there's nobody else you can say that to about you know, the history of the New York Mets. All the other greats had other uniforms. So I think that's what makes David Wright so unique is he was a star that never left. All right, buddy. Thank you so much for calling in for a couple of minutes. Uh, oh, Mike, great job. I, I look forward to your hot stove coverage and everything else. I think I think this team is not as far away as everybody uh, thinks. I think the pitching staff, uh, the starters, solidified themselves that they can you know get that bullpen uh, solidified. We say this every every uh, off season and, and and make a few moves. We'll see who the GM is going to be. I don't think this team is as far off as uh, everybody thought uh, earlier in the year. I agree. Take care, my friend. Thanks for calling in. Thank you, my Appreciate friend. Thanks it. for having me, Mike. That's our buddy Jim Mojo Morrison calling in down from North Carolina on a bye week for the Panthers. Uh, another blast from the past on the line. Used to co-host a, a little show called The Weekend Watchdog on uh, the Long Island ESPN uh, radio and was actually at the game last night. My buddy Joe Bono, who's, by the way, uh, a new dad, so you know he's probably ready to jump on and jump off. He's got more important things to talk about. Joe, a long time, you know, we we talked about getting you on uh, because you've been chomping at the bit to get at me. But uh, you know, we're in a, in a good mood. You're a new dad, and you got this David Wright thing, which brings a tear to everybody's eyes. So you know, there's really nothing to no negativity tonight. You know, like, I'll rile them up in uh, a highly, hour. You know, so. highly emotional week. And yes, I've enjoyed the sky is not falling. Uh, version of Mike Silva that everyone has heard uh, this year. I guess uh, that's what happens when Terry Collins is no longer the manager. So it's I was like, who is this guy that I'm listening to now on Monday mornings on my commute? Because it certainly wasn't the one I co-hosted a show with for a couple of years. 
we co-hosted though during Purgatory uh, when it didn't look like they were winning. So let me how I was watching the game from uh, home, so I wasn't there. And I've heard some people criticize the crowd on on Twitter. Uh, you know, it was tough because they were waiting for the speech at the end, and the game you don't know when it's going to end. But I thought early on with right, you know, the, the atmosphere going into the ballpark, it all seemed really. Mm-hmm. And you've been to other playoff games. You were at the Santana no hitter, so you've been at that ballpark for different events. So give me give me the blow by blow being there. Yeah, a little a little different because you know unlike you know Mike Piazza night or most times when teams do something celebratory, they pick a you know a Saturday or Sunday in the summertime. Uh, this was late September, so everyone's you know grabbing their undershirts and their Mets hoodies, and you know so you're getting to the ballpark and it had a playoff game type atmosphere because it's like the chill in the air and what you're wearing and um, sellout crowd, obviously, I think the sixth largest regular season crowd in, in Mets history, but obviously the game was game was meaningless and we were there for pretty much something that was scripted as to how it was going to play out, uh, which was really just to salute David Wright um, and his career as a the, the New York Mets. And uh, for me, it was really also about how this guy had, after making the World Series in 2015, you know, falling just short of the pinnacle, which would have been the win a world championship. He created a whole new set of goals for himself after the injury in 2016, right? His goal no longer was to become an all-star to win a world series. It was two and a half years of working tirelessly so he can play in front of his daughters and play in front of the Mets fans one more time. And I think that speaks volumes. He did it for no other reason than for that exact moment. And, you know, he kept on saying afterwards during his speech that, I was there to the end to listen to that we had his back. And I think people wanted to show his appreciation and acknowledgement of the work he put in to do that. Cause I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that in sports where someone worked that hard for that long, uh, just to have a very quick fleeting moment. Uh, that's how special it was for him. That's right. And I said that everybody talks about what Matt Harvey gave up to get to the world series in 2015. And look, I understand that he put his health on the line but it's debatable. His injuries are not necessarily, you know, hundred percent correlated to the extra innings, but right. If you look at it, he was diagnosed with stenosis in April of 15. He's out until August. He pretty much gave you whatever last productivity he could possibly give you up until that May night in 2016, where he, he described, I don't know if you saw the article, how he got into that batter's box that Friday night against the Dodgers mm-hmm. he hit a home run earlier. And he couldn't even turn his neck, which that's scary. You know, that's paralysis you could be dealing with. And at that point, his career was pretty much over. Uh, He probably knew it in the back of his head. He gave you that every last drop. And he was pretty much David Wright, maybe not vintage David Wright, but David Wright in September of 15. And he he gave you some moments in the playoffs. Um, That, to me, he he could have just said, hey, I'm going to sit out until I'm perfect. And, And maybe you never would have had that. 15 moment and and I and I think it's a lesson when we talk about you know next year next year next year you know you just don't know when it's going to be next year and I think you know Wright basically put it all out there and he gave whatever's left for that just one shot it's a shame it didn't end in a championship but it's a special moment in team history and for him as well no it really really was and you mentioned 2015 and I think so much of how we remember David Wright is linked to that 2015 run in August and through September. Um, I'm sure you've heard some of the interviews Harry Rose has done in recent weeks. And he talked about getting choked up um, 
when he hit that home run in Philadelphia um, in his first game back uh, with the Mets down uh, earlier in that game. Um, and he had so many moments in that, in that month and a half. Uh, that home run, the home run in Cincinnati, which was a game that they clinched the NL East, um, when he scored on the Cespedes double on Labor Day against the Nationals and had the big you know, pump fist after uh, beating the throw to the plate, the game one uh, you know, two-run RBI single against the Dodgers, and then obviously the World Series home run in game three, the only game the Mets would win in that World Series against the Kansas City Royals. So you know what? I don't know how we would view the totality of David Wright's career without that 2015, but that kind of, I think, provided a lot of a bookend for a lot of fans in terms of his career arc. We obviously know him becoming a buddy star in 2005, 2006, 7, and 8. Then he was a captain of the team, still putting up very productive years, but those teams in you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 were not going to be contenders. He signs the long-term contract vowing that no, hey, this pitching was coming, um, that good times were going to happen. Uh, didn't happen exactly probably as the Mets sold him on when he signed that contract, but nevertheless, they did make a World Series appearance, and um, – you know, I think uh, he was so much a part of that, even more so than maybe the tw- 2006 playoff team. Um, and that's where a lot of, I think, the memories go from Mets fans most recently um, is, is kind of the young David Wright uh, that was budding superstar and then the one that we saw in 2015 who was the captain of the New York Mets. Where does uh, last night at the ballpark rank for you? What, uh, what is that? Uh, you've gotten lucky. You've been at some, some pretty cool live <laughs> in the building sporting events. You're the in the building yeah. guy, you know? No, I, I, I do. I mean, this one wasn't necessarily luck. It was they announced the date, and I ran to uh, my phone to uh, try to purchase tickets. I was one of those people that got uh, purchased tickets on SeatGeek and then was told the next day the tickets were gone. But I had also fit, purchased tickets through Mets.com as well, so I had two tickets for that game. I just felt like I wanted to be there. I'm, I'm 36 years old, uh, right around the same age as David Wright and Jose Reyes. And uh, kind of, you know, when people asked him, in the in the post game about hey a lot of Mets fans kind of grew up with you um, I'm one of those Mets fans because I am almost pretty much the same age um, as as both of them so for me I wanted to be uh, there to kind of kind of see that part of my memories as a young adult kind of come to an end um, you know and it was really set up so well in that first inning Mike you know with Reyes in there you know it was kind of like we were there for David Wright but it was really cool to have Jose Reyes there too but at the same time he does not deserve the same amount of adulation because he chose you know to leave and go to Miami but set up so well in that first inning with the double the bunt and move him over to third uh, unfortunately he ended up drawing the walk instead of driving him home but other than that that was you know it was it was a great night and it did give you chills and my eyes did well up and and, and they really don't usually do that for sports anymore um so you know the David Wright Jose you stayed till the end 16 I did stay to the you end so the I, end. I went with the game with my father and uh we got my dad has one of those bricks outside city field and the brick actually says our dad never leaves the game early. <laughs> so there was no way he was leaving that game. As long as I communicated with my wife that it was okay that she was still all right with the newborn while I waited for the speech and the tribute video and she was okay with that. So we did stay with the end. Listen, people definitely left. It wasn't, it was still the majority of people were there, but I don't know the numbers of thousands that had to leave. And listen, if you have trains <laughs> and buses and subways on your way home and it's 11 11 30 at night um it's understandable but you know it was what it was but it was a special night for i think uh for Mets fans and 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 for david Wright. and i hope he stays and i think he will in some capacity with the organization and i think they will retire his number it's just a matter of when this will happen um and he'll be the first player uh to have their number retired that isn't a hall of famer as a met 
And uh, I think that speaks volumes because, you know, he is the best um, in totality um, offensive player the team has ever had and a lifelong Met as well. So that will be much deserved whenever that happens. And I'll, I'm pretty sure I'll be in the building for that as well. Well, so I'll give you a little pop here. So there may be Islanders fans in the audience. I'm sure they're aware of what you do, but if they're not, yes. you got the Isles blog. Will the Isles blog go on even now that you have oh, yeah. responsibilities? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we have uh, obviously the season starting up October 5th, uh, Islanders uh, season, the post-John Tavares era. And uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at IslesBlog, nyislesblog.com, and listen to the PT Isles podcast every single week with myself, James Duffy, and Alex Peck. So uh, from one blue and orange team, that uh, gives you lots of heartache and makes you scratch your head to another. Um, so we'll we'll kind of go straight into uh, Islanders hockey moving forward for me. So I, I appreciate I, that. I know Mike. you've been and, you know, I, go ahead. I know you've been chomping to get at me. I got you get you back on and get you riled up. They can't get you know, riled up today. You can get you riled up on a Saturday morning. <laughs> this was I was this, thinking this, should this I should I poke the bear? I mean you're just. And you're just so overall positive about the team. And I guess, I guess a lot of people will probably feel that way, the way they wrapped up September here um, on a good mark. And you look at June and what June was, you know, 15 games under 500 and what could have been if somehow they were able to salvage that month. Um, looking at the way the NL played out, I don't think they were getting to 91, 92, 93 wins, but it might have been a, a different type of season. And there's a lot of questions as to where the team goes moving forward. I know they're. I know. I just heard Mojo say they're not far away, but I don't know what you do with Zach Wheeler. I don't know where you spend the money. I don't know whether or not you invest in a, in a, uh, you know, a, a true closer. So whoever that new GM is going to be, it's going to be, I think, fascinating to see what the approach is because they're very much in this in between, in between um, state, and it could kind of accelerate one way or the other uh, depending on what moves they make so it'll be fun to watch all right. and listen to you uh, all right man again. listen appreciate the call uh be well congratulations again Thank on the you. newborn and uh we'll talk again my friend all righty you, you got it mike be well that's a good nice him to call in a good buddy from east to coast the weekend watchdog uh and get a call hey 646-716-8187 got some calls on the line looks like a couple people popped off during a little bit longer calls. Call back in, 646-716-8187. Going to take a quick break, and we'll return at the top of the hour with more Talking Mets podcast right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Hey, everybody. Uh, Welcome back. Talking Mets podcast. Uh, hope everybody's doing well. The number is uh, 646-716-8187, 646-716-8187. Give me a call, and uh, we'll move on. Uh, spent the first half hour talking about David Wright, but listen, um, 
if you want to bring up whether you were at the game or a memory about right or what he means, like whatever you want, call in. I always say, you know, keep it clean. You could debate me. You could come after me. I don't have a problem with that. I just don't want, you know, any inappropriate language. I have to cut it out on the archive anyway. So, and it doesn't really bother me. It's just, come on, just, just, you know, ruining it for everybody else. So, and I don't know how many people will, you know, and especially because it was weird when I was doing this and I was saying, you know, what, you know, what can I get done um, here when it comes to, uh, 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 the last day of the season, you don't know, maybe people are burnt out, what have you. So, um, you know, it is what it is, you know, when it comes, when it comes down to it. So here's what I'm going to do. I am going to take, uh, I'm going to bring up Mickey Calloway's comments. So I have Mickey Calloway's comments, Mickey Calloway and Jeff Wilpon both had press conferences, um, earlier today. And I thought I clipped up, uh, about two minutes worth of Mickey's comments, and we'll talk about that, and then we'll get in. And Will Pond had a lot to say. I thought it was important for Jeff to speak to the media. I think ownership needs to do that more often during the season. Uh, I know that, you know, normally it was Sandy Alderson that did it and, and what have you, and, 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 and I think it's important because I think there's a lot of misinformation that goes out there, um, you know, regarding this organization. And, and, and if you're going to let the media dictate the narrative, you might as well – get out there and have a you know, conversation with them. So let's let's get to the Mickey Calloway comments that uh, I had clipped up. So here it is. Everybody in that room, everybody in the front office, everybody on the coaching staff has to have the best offseason they've ever had for us to win a championship. And I think that's going to be everybody's goal this winter. And understanding that uh, it's going to take some time early for us to really get to know one another. It's kind of funny. I think in my um, interview – I talked a lot about the stages of group development, and and we went through all of those stages. You know, getting to know each other, um, some tense times in the middle, and then kind of normalizing everything, and then becoming a, a pretty high-performing group at the end. Um, all that is necessary for a group to kind of create this bond to to win a World Series. I think someone mentioned yesterday that uh, this was a very similar season to 68 before they won in 69. And I think they won 73 games. And uh, the starting pitchers had just started to come in their own. Seaver and those guys were um, really starting to develop. And the next year they went on to win the World Series and win 100 games. Uh, because they probably went through the same thing we did. It's that group development that uh, is, is essential for for a team to um, perform at the highest level possible. Now, when we get into spring training, we're going to add some guys and we're going to get knocked down a little bit and we're going to have to understand and know who those people are, but we're going to get to that high-performing stage sooner because they're familiar with the coaches, they're familiar with their teammates even more, and, and once we get those new guys you know, accustomed to the way we want to do things, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to click on all cylinders and get after it. So I'm, I'm excited that the, the guys really uh, focused on what they needed to do to improve every single day, regardless of um, how disappointed uh, we all were in the win-loss record at times. And uh, we're going to be a better organization because they took that approach. Tim in the front. Uh, is the expectation at the moment to bring your entire coaching staff back as is? Yeah, at, at the moment, yeah. We obviously are ending the season today, and I'm proud of everything that uh, they've all done. They've worked hard, they've worked diligently, and they've improved the players. That's uh, 
Mickey Calloway. And look, you, I know that there's been a lot of criticism of Calloway in the media. He certainly had, and I've spoken about that, a, a tough season with, and he admitted, you know, and, and I don't know if it was, I can't quite, you know, I was listening to the clip in and out because I clipped it up, but he mentioned it in the conversation earlier today. Is that he's a first-year manager. And I think we all, myself included, underestimated how you take a organization, a team that was with one guy for nearly seven, eight years, that was Terry Collins and one pitching coach, and you turned over the entire coaching staff. And really, it's no secret, this coaching staff is way different. It's more uh, and, and more erudite, much more analytically driven um, situation. I mean, here's Mickey Calloway talking about the stages of, you know, team development. I mean, these are not things that you would get from a Terry Collins. You know, for eight years, you were basically getting, you know, my veterans run the team and, you know, I, I believe in my guys. And, 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 you know, look, there's certain, you know, it was deeper than that with Terry. But you bring this guy in and, you know, you have a couple of new players, but you pretty much have the same group coming back. And um, there was going to be a developmental curve, and they didn't necessarily have the health early in the year. I think some of the pitchers, like Wheeler and Matts, were still trying to find themselves, which after two or three years, you would have expected them to be further along, but it takes longer for some. And I think part of that was who was helping them get to where they had to get. I think Island has done a tremendous job. I think Island deserves as much, if not more, um, of the credit you know, here uh, than anything. I think the fact that Mickey's talking about a championship and putting that focus out there is important. I think that's a mindset that has been missing from this organization for a long, long, long time. If you're going to win, you have to keep saying, you know, we're here to win a championship. We're not here to win 85 games. We're not here to compete. Yes, you focus on process, but ultimately that process is to win a championship. And I would expect, unless the new GM who comes in completely has different designs on this, and he'd have to probably sell, and we'll get to Jeff Wilpon in a minute, he would have to completely sell Mets ownership on that, because it sounds from listening to Jeff Wilpon that, you know, they expect, or at least they feel that they have enough here to win in 2019. And I agree with that, with this foundation of starting pitching, the emergence of some of the young offensive players and, and the things that they need, some of them are achievable. And I, and I, and I know will require investment from ownership and we'll get to that. But um, you know, that to me is, is a very achievable goal. It's not like you're the Baltimore Orioles who just lost 115 games. Uh, You know, look at Oakland. Oakland was a last place team a year ago. And now they're going to be going to Yankee stadium and competing for uh, a chance to go to the division series. And they've played well. So Things could turn around really quick with the right moves, with the right mindset. And I really like how – and we had uh, David Lorla of Fangraphs on a week ago. If you haven't listened to that, you know, you certainly should pop in on that and listen to that. And, um, and I really think Mickey is a deep thinker. I think he's very self-aware. I think he wants to do well. And I think the thing that he has to improve upon – and I felt he was pretty comfortable and honest with the media today. But I think in general, when he has those tough conversations, and I know he's trying to protect ownership, he's trying to protect the players, he's trying to be politically correct. In a lot of ways, you have to work with the media and give them something which shows that you're not this dunderhead 
that is just reciting what the front office gives you. You have to – it's a fine line, and I'm not saying I have the answer, but that's where I would say he would – if he's able to master that, he would be able to get a lot more uh, – I don't want to say pass, but a lot, lot more credit from the, the, from the writers who you know, have circled the wagon on him. Now, they have backed off on him, and a lot of that has to do with they you know, basically uh, had the same record as the Braves in the second half. I think they were a game behind or tied, or I don't know how that panned out. I didn't really look at the Braves' score today, but they had a decent second half for the most part. Um, they did it without a closer. Uh, they did it where they were really looking to trade off. They traded off their best hitter at one point, who was Cabrera. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to be positive about. Now, as you'll hear, and I'll, I'll get into Jeff Wilpon now, uh, he's not guaranteed to come back. I think whoever comes in, whoever the president, and I have a feeling it's going to be more of a president slash, you know, baseball operations guy than just GM. I think, um, I think you know, no, I think in Jeff Wilpon talked about this how people aren't just going to slide across to another team for the same job because it's New York. Uh, I, I think it would be a mistake after Mickey's worked all year to instill a mindset, and you're going to have unless you're really going to tear this thing apart, which would be a mistake. A lot of the same players coming back in spring training, like you heard Mickey say, with some new guys. Why wouldn't you try to build on this? Give him the three years. If you want to go out and say, okay, you want to go into a win-now mode, let's say you do that, and you don't feel Mickey's the right manager for that, and you have a Buck Showalter, or you want to go after Girardi, or you know maybe Joe Madden leaves the Cubs. I don't think that's going to happen, but it could. Dusty Baker. I'm just throwing out Mike Socha's gone from uh, Anaheim. You, you want to go that route and say, I could bring a guy in with a, a long resume, who's one who could get instant credibility with the media and, 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 and that would maybe give the new GM some time to figure this thing out, which there would be a, a value to that. It also cost a, a, a good amount of money. And remember, Steve Phillips has talked about this. The Mets, as much as people want to criticize, and there's fair criticisms, they do run this as a profit and, uh, and loss. They're not going to spend – above and beyond what they feel are their means. And there's many reasons for that. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to complain about that. It is what it is. So you're going to spend maybe $5 million a year on a manager just to have a big-name manager that will satisfy the media. Well, to me, that, that's not what the game is about today. And I'm not sure that's going to increase their likelihood of being better next year. I really don't. And that manager comes, and, and maybe they don't want Island, and, and, and maybe they don't want the coaching staff. So I think it would be foolish for any GM, regardless of what they feel long-range is the potential for this team, to blow it up next year. I would give Mickey the entire contract. Uh, clearly, if things get bad next year, um, you know his job is in jeopardy, and, and, and there may be something that has to be uh, you know, looked at. But anyway... I, I don't think it's been a banner year for Mickey Calloway. I think you give him a C plus. I think on a positive note, he was able to keep this team from collapsing and quitting, which they did a lot under Terry Collins in the years they didn't win. There was nothing taken away from those lost seasons. Nothing, really. And you guys could argue to the cows come home on that. There was nothing. Here I feel like got players got better. The pitching got better. I just feel better that there is a plan and there's an idea of what needs to be done now. Does that mean the talent – is going to be able to execute it? I don't know. 
And that's what leads me to the next clip, which we'll get into Jeff Wilpon and, and Jeff's opening comments. And there's a lot in this that I want to get into. By the way, if you want to call in at any point, I've done this live and I'm opening it up to call. I've had a couple so far today. The number is 646-716-8187, 646-716-8187. You want to throw a at Mike Silva Media tweet here um, uh, to kind of you know give me something on Twitter. That's great. You can do that as well and uh, be my guest on that whole thing. So, again, the number is 646-716-8187. Feel free to call in. I'll be on until 9 o'clock p.m. So let's get to Jeff Wilpon's comments, and uh, we'll start with his intro right there. Um, listen, I want to just thank the fans and the support that they gave us all year. I know the year didn't work out the way we wanted. We're very disappointed. I can promise you ownership is disappointed. The front office is disappointed. I think the players are disappointed. The staff's disappointed on the way this all uh, came out and what, what we did and what we didn't uh, produce this year. I think there's a lot more in the tank for these guys. Um, I think the effort was there, but I don't think we got out of them what we should have gotten out. And that, that could be partially, even though the effort's there, the talent wasn't, and that's something that the new GM's going to have to work on. Um, you know, the way the fans came out last night for David was spectacular. And I can only say thank you again to them because uh, it's, it's just such a warm feeling. And I know David saw me today and was really thankful again of, of what that night was for him. I think we owe them something uh, more than what we've given them, and we're going to produce that. Um, you know, Jacob came up to me when I congratulated him the other night after his 10th win, he said, you know, I got to my goal. I'm like, no, you didn't. We let you down, all right? We should have gotten you 20 wins. There's no way 10 wins is your goal. And if we had played a little bit better, he would have had 20 wins easily, and the Cy Young wouldn't even be in question. Hopefully he wins it anyway, but I think we're we're in good shape where he is, but we should have helped him some more. Um, I think there's, there's some good things, and, and not to sugarcoat anything, but, you know, I think Mickey – and the staff did a nice job not letting anybody quit and keeping them moving forward, which uh, was certainly something that could have happened. We saw it with other teams in our division where they had a great first half and they fell apart. Um, so that's one thing. I think JP, John, and Omar standing in for Sandy when he uh, left uh, and not making any trades was actually a, a, a positive for us because a lot of those guys did better in the second half. Uh, and that sets up a new GM to be in a in a good spot. Um, so, you know, I'm optimistic. I'm encouraged. We're going to go through a process with the uh, GM search. Uh, I've gotten a lot of opinions from a lot of people, so it's going to be very broad. Uh, some un untraditional candidates will be put into the mix. Uh, we'll go through a, a process at first with just John and myself interviewing them. Uh, we're going to start. We have not asked permission on anybody yet. We'll start asking permission next week uh, and start bringing uh, people in to interview. I think that will show us what's out there and what we, what we can expect to whittle down to a smaller group that will go through a more uh, detailed interview on, on the second round. So that was Jeff Wilpon in his introductory remarks. There's a lot more to come. Like I said, uh, and here's where I'm going to give you the as balanced of a view on the ownership as I possibly can. First, I, I liked how he's basically going out there and, and 
and taking accountability. I think throughout the interview, he took accountability, except for there's one part, which I will get to that I think annoyed the fans when it came to investing in the team. I don't, and, and I think the the best part of that comment was what he said to Jacob DeGrom is like, you shouldn't be, and I don't think Jacob is happy at 10 and nine, but I think he looked at what within his control, you know, he achieved the best he can do with the support he got. And, and Jeff basically said, Hey, look, we got to do better at getting you the support so you could win 20 games. You shouldn't even, you know, have this Cy Young in, in, in question. I think, yes, you know, normally, you have the GM, and this was Sandy Alderson's job to have these conversations with the media. I don't always think he did a good job with that. I think his sarcasm, his dryness, I don't think did the Mets well. I think Jeff actually, to tell you the truth, in a lot of ways did better than the GM. I think the narrative out there that the GM is a puppet and the GM doesn't have control, the only way you're going to dispel that is to have maybe two or three states of the union with the press, maybe one in spring training. And this should be Jeff, not Fred. I know Fred doesn't really want to speak. Jeff is the chief operating officer. It should be him. Jeff should speak in spring training. He should speak sometime in the middle of the season and they should speak at the end of the season and, and, and maybe make himself available at times in the off season. I think if he did that and had more candid conversations and I'm not talking about an SMY where it's controlled. I'm talking about like this in an open forum where you don't know where the questions are going to go. It may dispel some of the misinformation. Like he even talked about, and you'll hear it in a bit, the, the, the insurance thing, which he never said he wouldn't reinvest insurance. I don't know. I mean, it's it's hearsay. You know, somebody said it, or I don't think it was made up, but it could be somebody's opinion. It could be something that was said in passing. You don't know what, what where that source of that information came. So I, I think from a positive, I think on the negative here, and I'll get to the next comment. Let me let me play the time frame um, of the GM, and he said something that probably I know it annoyed a lot of fans. That is a bit of a um, of a red flag because it makes you wonder this is an interesting fit. I'll get into where this is an interesting fit in a minute, but uh, if you want to call in the number 646-716-8187, this is one of the rare times I do the podcast live. I encourage people to call in. I still have my agenda, but if you want to pop on and make and, and call in, that's, that's totally up to you. So 646-716-8187, I encourage you to give me a call. Uh, Jeff will pawn on the time frame. Um, about finding a GM. Let's go to that clip. Well, I think we have to be fair to the process, number one. Uh, obviously, ask permission, get people in. Uh, I think if we can have somebody by the GM meetings, that'd be terrific, if not the winter meetings. Again, I have faith in the people we have here with John, JP, and Omar that we can keep working and, and moving forward. It would be much better to have somebody in place, though, by that time frame, if we can. So... There's a lot of there's a lot of um, of ambiguity about and a lot of lack of commitment about getting a new GM by the GM meetings. Now, I certainly don't believe it's in the organization's best interest to not have somebody by the GM meetings, and definitely not to have not have a GM by the winter meetings. You got to have your plan and ready to execute your plan by the winter meetings. I don't think Jeff wants to 
set a goal that maybe, you know, when you're along the process with certain people who are going to be in the playoffs and the World Series, World Series goes to early November, the GM meetings comes right after, you may be tying up some loose ends. I don't think that that's their, their, their plan. I think they absolutely want to have this thing and have their, uh, their guy by that time. And, you know, with the, uh, if you think back, they hired Sandy Alderson in 2010 in mid-October. I don't think they had Terry Collins in place until December. They didn't even have a manager. I know that's a lot different. Um, so it's not necessary by the GM meetings to have everything in place, but I think you definitely don't want to go in with John Ricco representing the organization who really is, is essentially an extension of Jeff Wilpon at that point. So, um, so I, I, I'd hope in that situation he's just trying to not set himself up where if they're lo- tying up those loose ends in the interview process that he has to hire somebody or he gets held his feet to the fire. He's going to be careful about putting too much you know, declarative statements out there because it always comes back to bite you in this town. But this is where it gets clumsy because you have a manager that I, it's, he clearly he's happy with and he likes. He, he mentioned that in the press conference. He was hired by his father. You know, ownership liked him. He's had some success in the second half with the group, with the starting pitching, with some of the young players. So there's things here that I think the fans, I think ownership, I think they're starting to like what's there. Now you bring an outsider who, and clearly you're not going to hire someone whose philosophy in the interview process is diametrically opposite of what you want. You're going to ultimately the owner owns the team and has the right to make whatever call he wants, uh, you know, regarding that stuff. Um, you just have to, you know, have a, a, a scenario where there's some clarity as early in the offseason as possible about where this team is going to go. Because what you don't want is a disjointed front office going into 2019, and then you go into the season maybe with the team that is built kind of mishmash, and now you're back in the same situation. Because I, I think it's really important to leverage this pitching, and this pitching is going to get older, and they're going to hit free agency, and it's a good possibility you're not going to keep all four of them. Maybe you don't want to keep all four of them. So I really believe windows of opportunity need to be seized. And that's something that I I, I almost believe it has to, you know, you have to have a more of a win now mentality if you're going to keep the pitching together over the next two two seasons. And not having a sense of urgency and getting this front office in place certainly doesn't align with that. And I know that 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 statement, and in the media didn't like it, the fans didn't like it. So now the million-dollar question uh, will start. There's a couple of of payroll-type questions. That's really where the rest of these clips are going with payroll and what have you. Uh, Let's start with the first one here. I think this is – let me go. This is the first comment he made about payroll. Like I said, ownership with myself, we'd like very much that Mickey's back, and same thing with a lot of the staff. But uh, you, you can't go out and pick the best candidate that we want for this position and tell him he's hamstrung by, you know, a, a number of people that are here. So uh, we'll see how that all plays out. But just for the sake of a couple of live audiences watching, just a reminder to state your name and, uh, and affiliation. Go ahead, Mike. Mike Puma, New York Post. Jeff, I'm over here. Uh, I, th- I think the big question always this time of year is, is how much money you're uh, – is there going to be a leeway to spend this off season on free agents? Yeah, well, we, we've always set a uh, 
a goal in terms of what the payroll's going to be. It already starts out at a number, and we always, always exceed that number. Every number of years, as far as you want to go back, we set a target, and that's what we give the GM, and we work with the GM on what that target should be, and then we end up exceeding it because of what's out in the marketplace and what's available. So I would say I, I can't give you an exact answer on that, but what I can tell you is when a new GM is in place, we will have a plan that we will come back to you with and, and lay that out. So he talks about Mickey not having his job definitely is safe. Um, he talks about, you know, obviously giving the GM some autonomy. It's really not a payroll question, but it goes back to where there's some uncertainty about, you know, there's a, I guess he puts out the possibility that the whole thing could be blown up. I really don't believe, and this is where it gets clumsy, I don't believe that that's where they're going to go. I really don't believe that. So, um, you know, that's uh, – uh, I'd be shocked they bring someone in who says fumigate the place. Because any intelligent baseball guy would not say that. I'm sorry. Would not. And if somebody does say that, what they're looking to do is get themselves basically a secure five-year contract so they have the built-in excuse that we're rebuilding. And the numbers – and the record doesn't matter. We're rebuilding. It's, remember – when you when you go out there and you preach organization building and it's constantly about the future and it's constantly about collecting assets, there's a lot of marketing that comes into play with that, and it creates a lot of job security because you don't have to win. Sandy Alderson benefited from that. Not that I think he was he was that was his goal or that was his intention, but he was in payroll purgatory. He had some bad contracts. They were coming off the Madoff situation. There was no intention in 11, 12, 13. To win, they started to spend after the 13th season when they saw Harvey come up and produce, and then you know, obviously had the, the Tommy John surgery. They spent a little bit to get to 14. Uh, they underachieved, I believe, in 14. Uh, the data indicates that there was a bit of underachievement there. And then obviously 15, even though there wasn't expectations, they started to make the push, and they made the push where the cycle went really quick. So um you guys, anyone who comes in and says that, they're just looking for job security, and they're and they're going about with what's good for them, not necessarily what's good for what is currently in the organization. So, now the next comment is where I think this is where the fans really went bonkers, and I have to say I agree to a certain extent with the fans, but I also go back where you should understand how this team runs its finances because it's. It's not a big secret. You've had books written about it by our friend Howard Megdal. Steve Phillips over on MLB Network Radio has talked about how the uh, organization runs its finances. You may, may not like it, but by this point, you should understand it. And yeah, there's some language that Jeff uses here that doesn't necessarily lend itself to being totally forthright, but you know, it's not like he's completely lying. I, I, at least I believe. So let's go to this clip. This is about the, you know, investing in the analytics and things like that. And looking back at how the season went and ways to improve, there are certain things that, you know, stand out, you know, like maybe I mean, they require an investment maybe on the ownership level. I mean, things like the size of the front office, uh, the analytics staff, improving the minor leagues. Like, do, do you feel like those things need to be improved, beefed up, you know, added more, more investment made in those? And I don't think we haven't made the investment. What I can tell you is that the people that are in place are what was asked for by the administration that was here. Uh, and if somebody comes in and says we have to beef up this area or that area, we're, we're totally fine to do that. 
That's not something that we've ever said no to. Um, the minor leagues and the development is, is definitely a, a very big uh, focus with a new GM and a bunch of the questions we have already is how are they going to get us to a point where when players come up from our minor leagues, they're major league ready and they're able to help if somebody gets hurt. Let's, uh, let's continue that with the, uh, the next clip here. Uh, and then with David Wright in the past, you've said you guys did not reinvest the uh, insurance money. Uh, with where he is now, is that something you can do going forward, reinvest that into player personnel? I, I don't think I ever said that. So I, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with that comment, but uh, it's all put into the mix. The money that comes back or doesn't come back from any insurance or anything that we're doing uh, is in a range that we give the GM, and the new GM will come up with a number with us. Uh, and I, I can guarantee when we come back with more information of who that is and what their plan is, they'll end up exceeding it, and we, we know that going in. Tony? Anthony Tacoma, MLB.com. Uh, Jeff, in the past, with the exception of, of Ioannis Cespedes, I guess, over the past 10 years, you haven't really shopped at the top of the free agent market. Um, how much of that was a recommendation of the old regime, and, and how much do you see yourself sticking with that versus changing and shopping in those areas this year? I think it was a total recommendation, number one, and number two, until we have somebody on board, you know, I really don't want to answer those questions. We'll come back to you with more information once we get somebody and we lay out a plan. But until I know what the new GM is going to, going to suggest as a plan and we hire that person to, to go forward with that plan, it would be premature to answer that. So <laughs> this is where it's funny. So basically I tell you, hey, I got $100,000 to spend. It's your choice that you don't want to spend it on the $150,000 car um, but you got a hundred thousand dollars to spend, but it's your choice. Well, that's kind of not totally sincere. Now, I'm not sure. You got two ways here. You could say, well, the organization is not providing the the general manager Sandy Alderson the resources to to get that top end of the market free agent. Um, but then you could also say, well, if you have this much money to spend, which is what the Mets essentially are doing they're saying here's your payroll range here's what we can afford and i have the numbers i went to cots contracts here I have the numbers and again if you want to pop in between now and nine o'clock and, and give a comment 646-716-8187 you're more than welcome to do so 646-716-8187 is the number you could call in uh, as i'm doing this live i'm recording the podcast live so i let anybody call in if they so desire so i went to cots contracts um, and looked at the payroll right now for the remainder. And actually, I'm going to go and bring up the tax tracker. So right now, which you, and you really, anybody could do this. You just go to you Google Cots Contracts. You bring up Mets. Um, you go to uh, the link with the payroll, and then you have a spreadsheet on Google uh, uh, Google Sheets. And then there's a, a couple of tabs, and you go to the tax tracker. So anybody could do this. This is not me making stuff up here. And I looked at where the Mets were this year. So the Mets projected, they basically projected that they spent about $167 million when you add in player benefits, the, the players in the minors' salary, um, you know, things like that. You know, arbitration this year, guys, how they made an arbitration, then obviously salary. That's about $30 million below what the tax threshold is, which is 197 Now, the tax threshold is going to continue to go up. So the concern, obviously, with the Mets is that they don't want to get hit with a 20% tax, 
tax rate by hitting the threshold. They're not going to pay that. I mean, that's like bringing in another player, and, and I don't see how this team with their, um, you know, with their with their financial situation, they're, they're, they're not as well healed as the Dodgers. They're not as well healed as the Yankees, the Red Sox. Uh, and, and there's a variety of reasons for that, which is not what this is really all about. Uh, so they're not going to go and make that big splash, that big investment right now, but they have some room to play with. $167 million payroll is pretty, with all things considered, is, is pretty high. It's pretty generous. And if you go to next year, before the arbitration, you're down to about $100 million in uh, liables with, when it comes to the payroll. 30, actually, hold on, uh, over, 30, over 40% of that is right in Cespedes. I know that there's been reports of a, um, of a, uh, of a buyout. Actually, I should say, yeah, it's about yeah, it's about forty-four percent. Forty-four percent of it, or forty-two percent of it, is right in Cespedes. I know there's been talks of an insurance uh, uh, buyout negotiation. Cespedes may miss the whole year, so perhaps insurance covers that. So you have some money to play, and it actually goes in and ties in right now with a question from the audience from Kyle uh, Pelechia. I hope uh, I said your name right at K Pell E C H ninety eight on twitter thanks for tweeting at me and get me that uh question and if you want to call in the number is 646-716-8187 his uh, question was hey mike i was wondering who's the free agent signing that you want to see this offseason obviously we need a right-handed bat which could come in the form of Chato ramos on the contrary do we hope that a mid-season peter alonzo call-up balances our batting order well, that's a lot there so so now you heard the mets have and and i think mike puma talked about when you add an arbitration they probably have about 140 million dollars they're liable for. And if three quarters of the 40 million is picked up by insurance, you know, you're looking at about 110, 115 already on the books. It leaves you, if the Mets want to spend uh, on payroll, uh, something similar to this year, which before all the benefits and all that, all that uh, they were at 150, uh, you got about 35 million to spend. So, if you do, do bring on a big free agent like Machado, most of your money is going to be going to him. Here's what I'll say about Machado, and this is both Harper and Machado. My prediction is as follows. I think they're going to ask for long-term deals, and I think the era of seven- to ten-year deals for players is over. I think the analytics people know that you know the liability on the back end of those deals is sure. I think – both of those guys come with risk. I think Machado has the knee risk, and Jim Bowden, former GM, talked about this on MLB Network Radio a couple of years ago, that he, you know, he's had knee injuries, and you're going to ask the guy who's a middle infielder, yes, he can play the corners, to you know, sign on for seven to ten years as you get into his 30s. Uh, you know, that's, that's scary. That's scary for any team. I think both of those guys are going to shoot for the moon. I think you're going to be surprised at what they wind up signing with. I wouldn't be surprised if Harper went back to Washington because I think there's a lot of questions about how good he is, especially with the shifts now and how maybe teams have learned how to pitch him and how he performed this year in his walk year. Very good offensive player, no doubt. But do you want to invest $300, $400 million, 30 to $40 million of your payroll? There's only a couple of teams that can do that. In Brett Bryce Harper, and I know the Nats, who have been known to defer money and have some, especially with, um, you know, they're, they're going through that lawsuit with Masson that's probably going to 
go – it sounds like it may not go in their favor. I, I'm, I'm not really keeping up on that, but I know that's something that you know comes into play here. So I don't think those two guys are really something that is, is realistic. Do I think Wilson Ramos is realistic? Yes, I do. Uh, A.J. Pollock, who can play center field, that's a name out there uh, that I think uh, I'm intrigued by. I look at this team, and right now the, the challenge I have, Kyle, with free agency is that I think the one position, if you really want to upgrade realistically the offense, because I'm not sure just signing a Wilson Ramos, and I think A.J. Pollock, because of his injury history, is a bit of a risk. I'm not sure that just doing that is a shoe-in. It's improved the offense, but I don't think it's a shoe-in. Now, you're going – doing those kind of moves, you're, you're assuming that Conforto has arrived and that you're getting the best version of Conforto that, that you're going to get going forward, which is a high-impact bat, that Nimmo could continue to be an on-base, top-of-the-order impact guy. Same for Jeff McNeil. Um, you mentioned Alonzo. We don't know what Alonzo is all about. I think he's had a great year in the minor leagues. He wouldn't be the first guy to go bananas in the Pacific Coast League and have to adjust coming up. Remember, McNeil has had a really good foray into the big leagues, and he's got over 200 plate appearances, so he's been around the league a couple times. But let's see next year. I have to see him when he goes through that first slump. Can he come out of it? Let's see how when he comes back after a lot of videos out, a lot of scouting reports, spring training, all that stuff. Let's see how McNeil plays. And I think that's where the concern comes when people say the Mets go into seasons with a lot of ifs. If McNeil flops, what's your plan B at second? They don't have one right now. Um, so you need some guarantees. That's why I think it's more realistic to go at McNeil. You go and you try to beef up the catching. I don't think Grandel is a guy that they're going to go and spend for. I think Ramos is a guy you can get maybe on a shorter deal. And... Um, and at least he knows the National League East. You kind of know what you're getting there. Grandel's out in L.A., and he's certainly good. But why would he leave L.A.? I mean, and if the Dodgers are letting him walk, you may want to ask yourself, what do they know that, that, that you know, we don't? Pollock, same way. I think Pollock is an upgrade. But I've even seen Adam Fisher, who formerly was in the Mets front office, who's on Twitter, works for SNY, doing some stuff, uh, talk about how he's concerned about Pollock's injury history. And he's, he's, he's actually bullish on giving Ligaris an opportunity to be the everyday outfielder you also have to go in and and i know you shouldn't count on Cespedes at all next year that'd be foolish but if Cespedes does come back and you have pollock nimmo conforto you really have no place for Cespedes. he's going to come back eventually if not next year the year after so you have to really think about that it's a tricky spot where i really think kyle and i'm going long-winded here on this but where i really think and here's something really interesting to chew on would you trade todd frazier because he's only making about eight million bucks. Let me look, make sure I'm right. Yeah, he's making nine million dollars next year. It's very reasonable, and you could probably find a trade partner for for Frazier. You might even be able to get yourself a bullpen arm for him. You know, maybe a, a reliever that's making some money that you know maybe go to the you know you can't go to the Rockies, of course, but the Rockies are a team that brought a lot of uh, relievers. And is there a team out there that has a reliever um, and they need a third baseman? Would they would they trade for Frazier and sign Daniel Murphy to play third base? You know Murphy, his knees obviously are a bit of an issue. He's probably better suited to go to the American League, but maybe third base would take a little bit of the wear and tear off of him uh, playing there. 
he's a guy that can play first. He can play second, so you can move him around the diamond a little bit. He gives you versatility. Uh, I think he's got leadership qualities. He's played here. He's led them to a, a World Series here. The fans love him. I know he's a lefty bat, so that doesn't really, and Jeff Wilpon talked about it, it doesn't really fit the we need a right-handed bat mold, but you start there with Murphy. You got Murphy, you got McNeil, you got Rosario. Uh, you know, eventually you got to think that Alonzo is going to be the first baseman. You could always put, and I know Flores with the arthritic knees maybe is a non-tender candidate, but maybe he's your hedge over at first if Alonzo doesn't work out. I'm not even big. I think Dom Smith's a trade candidate. I'm not really big on Dom Smith. I think he needs to go somewhere else. Uh, to to become if he's ever going to become something, and of course you have Jay Bruce who's lefty at first. I think they may look to trade Jay Bruce if they can. I don't know if they can. I'm not sure. I'm convinced that Bruce will be on the roster because I think their best outfield is a defensive center fielder, Conforto and Nimmo. And I don't think Nimmo's a center fielder, and I would rather them go defensive minded up the middle. I think that's important. So you don't have a lot of offensive opportunities to improve at a high level if you focus on catcher and center field because those guys are not out there. So I would, do, I would think about doing that. I would think about Murphy at third base. And then you have maybe a Wilson Ramos behind the plate because I think that's more realistic. And then you have potentially you go with Lagaris in center uh, or maybe you see if you could sign Pollock. But I think if you bring in Murphy and you spend the money on Murphy, I think it's more realistic that they go defense and center. And I'm okay with that. I think defense is important. Uh, you know, Can Lagaris be a contact hitter? that gives you a good at-bat, plays gold-glove level defense. You know, his injuries have been really freakish, so I I can't say – I know he's injury-prone, but I don't put him in that injury-prone category that, you know, other players are in a lot of ways. So um, Machado and any high-level free agent, the blueprint to sign guys like that is to go out and blow away the competition and pay them the most. I don't think Machado – I always think the West Coast, and I've said this on many podcasts, I think the West Coast has such an advantage over the East Coast because of lifestyle going forward when it comes to free agency in all sports. I'm not sure that the Dodgers are just going to let him walk. And I think a lot will depend on his experience here in the postseason. Now, I understand that Beltron with the Astros in 2005 had that great postseason. They went to the World Series. You know, they um, you know, had success. And then the Mets outbid the Astros and almost, you know, he went to the Yankees for a lot less. Mets played at a high stratosphere. That high stratosphere in 2005 dollars versus today is night and day. And the Mets are in a different financial position today because they don't have those fake earnings that they thought they had with Madoff back then. Remember, Steve Phillips has talked about it. They run this like a business where it's profit loss. They're not going to take deep losses to put money into payroll. They're just not going to do it. You're going to have to win. And whoever's responsible is going to have to win with being fiscally re- with being fiscally responsible. The criticism about that is that the budget seems to move constantly. It makes it very hard to put a plan together. Sandy Olderson was a plan A, a plan B, a plan C guy. And as the offseason goes on, if you can't pivot quickly, you lose out on guys. Because agents don't want to sit around and wait. Because agents it's like musical chairs with them too. And you are on the wrong end of musical chairs as an agent. You can get fired. It happens. So I don't think the Mets play at that high level. I don't think Machado's where they play. I think they play at middle tier. I know that's not sexy, but I don't think they can't win 
doing that. I think they can win. And, and you guys continue have to remember, they have elite, elite starting pitching that needs to be paid. Right now, DeGrom at the top with we, healthy Wheeler, if we, and, and Wheeler gave you as good a second half as DeGrom right now. With Syndergaard put in, you know, I think Syndergaard's more of a number two um, at times, you know, along with Wheeler. And Mats, who can be in the four or five spot, uh, to me, that's more than enough to win. Uh, I think you go out, and I'm not sure I'm sold on Vargas being the you know league average fifth starter. If I were the new GM, I'd talk to uh, Island a lot about him and see what he thinks. Um, but um, you know, Oswalt is another depth. You really have to worry about your starting pitching depth because those guys are you know there's double headers, there's rainouts. You, you know, you assume one of them is going to maybe need to miss a start. Is Justin Dunn ready? Uh, you don't want to get out where you're scrambling and looking at uh, the, the, the trash pile in June to make a spot start because then you're throwing games away. And that's what happened in 2017 a lot. Now they had – I mean, in 2016, they went 10-11 deep, and they got fortunate that Lugo and Gazelman – and by the way, those guys are going to play a lot into the bullpen part because I think Gazelman is probably more inclined not to be a high-leverage late-game reliever. I know he did it this year, but he was hittable. I think I'd put him in more into a, a long guy, fifth, sixth, seventh guy, because earlier in the year when they brought him in, more in the fifth, sixth inning, I think he did better. Lugo did really well as that two-inning reliever. Um, I know they're going to train him to be a starter for spring training. I think that's smart, because if you're trained to start, going back to relieving is probably easy. That's at least my novice opinion. So I think that'll play a lot into um, – you know, on that. And to wrap up Kyle's point, um, in regards to Syndergaard, do you trade him? Uh, no, I don't. I don't trade any of the starting pitching, Kyle. I mean, that's, you know, thanks for that uh, comment. Thanks for participating in the uh, in the Twitter portion of this. So, um, you know, I, I, I do not trade uh, Noah Syndergaard. I don't trade any of the starting pitching. If you start trading the starting pitching, you're pretty much uh, uh, going for rebuild. Right now, you don't have enough offense. This team has to be built on good start, really good starting pitching, um, a diverse, contact-oriented, less weight for the three-run homer offense because you got some guys in there that are like that, like McNeil and Nemo. And they need to figure out the bullpen. Sandy Alderson never figured out the bullpen during his tenure. Uh, they need to figure out the bullpen. So, um, you know, that's that's a lot of what I see over there. So, hey, last uh, ten minutes, going to take a quick break, uh, recoup here a little bit, get us a glass of water maybe. Final thoughts, you want to call in to wrap up, the number is 646-716-8187. Uh, live podcast, Talking Mets podcast here, uh, doing it live like I, I don't normally do. And I uh, had a couple of calls earlier tonight, and if you want to call in, send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. You're more than welcome to. Wrapping up with the Talking Mets podcast right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. 
Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, uh, wrapping up the call, you know, live show, and welcome calls in if you want to call in before it's wrapped up. 646-716-8187. 646-716-8187. Appreciate everybody uh, for listening live, listening. If you're listening on replay, thank you as well. Um, looking at some of the free agents, I mean, again, and I said this, I think I was on with Rich Catino at 540 AM WLIE. There isn't a heck of a lot out there. I mean, if you look... Um, right now at center field, uh, you know, you've got A.J. Pollock, who I mentioned. I don't really know if I consider Andrew McCutcheon a center fielder. Uh, Adam Jones, uh, I don't know about, the, you know, signing him. He's at 33 years old. You know, Carlos Gomez has been there, done that. So you really have to make a decision here on center field. I, I don't think Ligaris is out of the question. I know, uh, and we'll talk more about it as the offseason goes on. I mean, you're probably laughing, oh, I'll bring Ligaris back, but – you want to focus on defense. I think your best bet of beefing up the offense, you got to, first of all, if Alonzo's the real deal, that's a big win because Alonzo and McNeil change a lot, a lot. I think you look at third base. I like Todd Frazier. I think Todd Frazier, uh, you know, he was hurt. He did not have a good first year here in New York. I don't know if it's because he was home the whole time, but. Because, you know, he was pretty decent. Not great with the Yankees, but he was pretty good with the Yankees. And he's a guy that you want to bat down in the lineup. I think too often both Bruce and Frazier were relied on to be three, four guys. Those are not the guys. Bruce is middle of the order, like a, a four, five guy, maybe more like five. And I think Frazier's a guy that does best down in the, the lower third of the lineup. They're not the middle of the order guy. He's just not. And I think that they put him in there because of a variety of reasons, and namely because Cespedes – and he, he, you know, Cespedes not being around, that was a, a big dynamic that, that was missing. I think you go after Daniel Murphy as a third baseman. I don't know, and again, you don't know who the GM is, and that's why it goes back to what I said. I really don't believe they won't have a plan or a GM in by the GM meetings. I think Jeff was just trying not to commit to a, a time frame because you could get burnt by that. But uh, I, I just don't think, and I think Daniel Murphy is a good way He's a grinder. He'll fit right in with this group. Um, and I don't know what kind of contract he's going to demand, but at his age and with his knee history, uh, I don't think he'll get more than three years. I really don't. That's what he got last time. That's what he'll get again. And Daniel Murphy is um, – what the age is he? He's 34 years old. He might only get two years. So you could get him on a really good value. Um I think starting pitching, you know, Mickey Calloway had talked at times about starting pitching. You know, there's Gio Gonzalez is a possibility. The real question would be, do you want to upgrade the uh, the rotation in the five spot from Vargas? Certainly uh, Gonzalez would be that guy, but at what cost and what is it going to take away? That's why you have to look at and, and be realistic about what kind of finances you have the team only brings in so much profitability. The Mets are what they are from a brand. 
You could complain about that because of the owners. That's a whole different conversation. But more importantly, uh, it, it's reality. So how are you going to spend that money? You go down the relievers. There's Brad Brock, who's an interesting reliever. You know, Familia, who I'd be careful with. Uh, Kelvin Herrera's out there. Jeez, uh, I'm going up and down this list. Joe Kelly. Eh, I don't think I would go and, and, and go crazy on Kimbrel at 31. Uh, but Norris. Look at the name. This is the guy to look at. Adam Adovino. I'd uh, Adovino. Uh, I, I'd be careful about giving a closer job. He walks a lot of batters. That's the only thing. A lot of these guys, you strike out a lot of guys. They walk so many guys. Adovino's at like four per nine. You got, I, I know the strikeout rate's really high, but I just hate walks. The other name I'd keep an eye on, and I know he's 34, but he's got a Callaway connection, is Andrew Miller. And he can come in, and he's still good. I know he's um, he's dropped off a little bit because of injuries. He's still good, but I would look at that name too. So, um, so that's that. So we're wrapping up the 2018 season here. Heard Mickey Callaway's comments. We heard from Jeff Wilpon. Talked a lot in the first half hour about David Wright. And, um, you know, now it's on to the hot stove. It's on to the offseason, watching the rest of the league battle it out for who will be the, uh, the 2018 World Series champion. What about the show, you ask? Well, I have a couple ideas for podcasts in the month of October. We are going to take some time off. Uh, the GM search will dictate a lot about content. But what you got tonight with me recording live and taking a couple of calls and putting up the audio from Mickey Calloway, Jeff Wilpon will have to tie you over for a little bit, but I will be very nimble. If something happens that requires or meets fresh content, I'll be more than willing to pop on, but I think it's probably going to be a couple of weeks before the next podcast at the very least. Uh, but I do have some ideas and, and stay tuned for more talking Mets over the course of the coming months in the hot stove. As far as, Wrapping up the season, I want to thank everybody for tuning in weekly. Another record year. Every year we've had more listeners than the year before. The support from MetsmerizedOnline.com was tremendous. Uh, without you guys, without that ability to have you as partners, you know, it's a lot harder to get the word out there in this day and age. It's very hard with the saturation of podcasts and blogs and websites and the mainstream media finally figuring out how to do a lot of this stuff. I think I provide a nice niche. I think I'm entertaining. I think I give you some mental bubble gum to get you through a piece of your day, and that's my goal. Throwing in some written content here and there. I know it's you know sporadic, but it'll be probably three to four times a month. I like to do a feature column of opinion, an op-ed, so to speak, or opinion-based column. Something soon will be coming up. You'll probably get in the next couple of weeks more written than podcast, just because I think it's time to decompress and, uh, and let today's news settle in and see who the next GM is and what news comes out about the team and, and the direction they're going to go. So I want to thank you guys. I want to thank you for a great season. I really appreciate your support. And we're going to continue to have this podcast going forward. We're going to continue to do the things we do. And hopefully, um, you know, we'll have some more live call-ins where I'll record the – basically, I'll record the, the show live. And if the calls come in, they come in. If they don't, they don't. I plan on I plan these podcasts if I don't get a single call because I know it's hard to have appointment radio these days. So I thought we got a couple of good calls. I had a couple of guys say they wanted to call in. They did and gave us some interesting perspectives, some old friends. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Of course, 
I want to thank the good folks over at MetsmorizedOnline.com. As always, you can send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Thank you all for a great 2018 season. We'll be back with more talking podcasts in the off season. Till then, be well. We'll talk soon. Thanks a lot. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.